Good morning. One more time, good morning. What a beautiful day. Here we are, beginning of a new month. We're going to be receiving communion today in a responsible way. We're going to be spending time in God's Word as we have spent time in fellowship and in praise and worship. And after all, that is why we gather every Sunday and on Wednesdays and throughout the week to worship God and to enjoy each other's company, to invest in one another's lives, to bless one another. And so this morning, you can turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts, where we've been studying through the book of Acts these last few weeks. We find ourselves today in chapter 4 and in verse 23. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. And as you're turning there, let's open in a word of prayer. Oh, Lord, Heavenly Father, we commit to you our hearts today. We, each of us, need to hear from you. We need to be encouraged through the teaching of your word, the reading of your word, the studying of your word, the meditation upon the word. Lord, we need to know that the truths in your word are just as true today as they've ever been. And we need to be encouraged, Lord, because we live in a dark world that's becoming increasingly darker by the day. So we now commit to you our hearts and our lives and ask that as we listen, you'd give us ears to hear, hearts to be open to what you would say to us, and minds to understand all that the Spirit would speak to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to see in this section today that the church prayed for boldness. The church prayed for boldness. And this is after Peter and John were released by the temple authorities. You see, the Sanhedrin had arrested them. They had uh, released them, but they arrested them, kept them overnight. And then Peter and John, after having been arrested and detained and intimidated, told the church everything that the Sanhedrin had said to them. Look at verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. They basically came back and gave an update. Well, this is what happened. As you know, we were preaching in the temple after the crippled beggar was healed. and, and, And then the Sanhedrin sent the temple authorities. They took us into custody overnight. And then in the morning, they assembled the Sanhedrin and they asked us a few questions. First, they questioned the power or name by which they had healed that crippled beggar. Trying to catch them in a, in, in a, in a, a legal quandary. They, they knew that if they said that they had healed this man by any other name other than Jehovah God, that they could be stoned to death for blasphemy. Now, Peter was careful about the way he answered, and we saw that last week, but the Sanhedrin had then commanded them not to preach or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And just as a recap, remember, Peter said in verse 19 of this chapter, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. And I think, you know, they go on to say, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Listen, listen, you cannot help preaching the gospel. This is why we're here, amen? So if the authority, any authority, suggests that you should listen to them and not listen to God, 
Ask them to judge for themselves whether it's right to do so. And then follow your conscience. You know, we hear a lot of this, I follow the science, I follow the science. I put the word C-U-N in front of that. I follow my conscience as the Holy Spirit directs me according to his word, my conscience. That's how God speaks to us. He's given us a conscience, and you can drown that out, and your conscience can become seared, as with a hot iron, as Paul says. And basically what happens eventually, you don't even know that what you're doing is wrong. We see that throughout the world within our culture today. But after Peter and John shared what had happened and that they had boldly refused to submit to the Sanhedrin or to be silenced by them, listen, the church got together and did what the church should do. Look at verses 24 through 28. When they heard this, that is the church, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, which is a way of saying, God, you're in control of everything. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord, that is Jehovah in Hebrew, and against his anointed one or Mashiach or Messiah or in Greek Christ. So, As we look at this, it goes on to say, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen. You know what I come away from after reading that prayer, that opening to this prayer? There was no point in the mind of Peter and John, who were persecuted and put in prison and intimidated, there was no point at which they or even the church thought for a minute that God wasn't sovereign and in control. So if right now you're thinking, well, I knew God was in control the last four years in the White House, and maybe you don't feel that way, or maybe you do, And you're thinking, well, now God isn't in control now because of what's happening in our country and the agenda that's being promoted. You would be wrong because God was in control the last four years. He'll be in control the next four years. And he's in control right now of everything taking place in our world. Amen? And you might say, well, Pastor Tim, how could you say that? Look at the ungodliness. Well, remember what we learned here. In, in, the, in the killing of Jesus, in the crucifixion of Jesus, the church said this, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Does that mean that God was approving of what they did? No. Does that mean that God approves of what ungodly men and women do today? No. But it does mean this. It does mean that God's power has not decreased and his will is never thwarted because God decides beforehand what should happen. I don't know why God is allowing the ungodliness in our nation and in our world, but I know he is. I know he's not the author of it. That is, I know that he never authors sin, but he allows it. He does allow wickedness to continue to the point he limits it. But what can you do if God has allowed these things to take place? Who are we to stand up and say, well, I disagree. I don't think God should allow these things to take place. It's tempting, isn't it? It's tempting to look at the world and say, well, 
I don't know what happened. I mean, how could God allow the results of that last election? How could God allow the legislation coming through our country, which is clearly ungodly? How could God allow ungodly people to be in control of the world, let alone our nation? And yet I read this verse regarding the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, God himself. They did what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen. So at that point, and remember they started with sovereign Lord... At that point, every single one of us should take a deep breath and say, as bad as things are, as awful as they may become, and if you read prophecy, you know it's going to get worse, should there ever be a point where you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a disciple of the risen Lord, should ever say, oh, all is lost, all is lost. There was a time where God was in control of our lives, but sadly that day has passed. You see, I I see a lot of Christians acting that way. And it's because what they think, let me just say what I think should be happening, isn't happening. It's really hard, isn't it? It's really difficult. For a little while there, we thought, wow, our country is turning towards godliness. And you know what? Probably half of it is. But there's another half out there that would silence the preaching of the gospel and would like to cancel you. And God is allowing them to succeed for some period of time. I'm not convinced it's going to last for very long, but I don't know. But by put my trust in God, his power and his will, can I hear an amen? Amen. So the church fellowship, before they even pray, they acknowledge the truth of God in prayer to God the Father. The truth of God should be acknowledged in prayer. Heavenly Father, who's in control of all things, Sovereign Lord, who by your power and will allow even the most wicked people to prosper when you decide they should. Lord, we trust you with our lives. You see? You you see, if you start your prayer acknowledging God's sovereignty and that he's in control of all things, everything that follows will be prayed by faith. And you'll save yourself a lot of complaining in prayer. You'll save yourself a lot of time. Because you won't say things like, oh, God, please, please, help. You you won't do that. You'll, You'll ask God to bless you and to work, but it'll be by faith, not by fear. And by the way, I've said this before, fear is way more contagious than viruses. Don't give yourself over to fear. We know this. God has not given us a spirit of timidity. That is fear. And timidity is really the right word. It means, oh, well, I, I couldn't, I, I mean, wouldn't want to say anything. I might offend someone. But of love, power, and a sound mind. And right now, that's in short supply. So here's what happened. They're praying. They acknowledge that God is the sovereign creator of all things. Now, I want you to think about this. If you bought a Tesla, and I don't own one. I happen to like them. They look really nice. I don't put enough miles on my car for the investment to pay off. But I have to admit they're really nice. But if you owned a Tesla and you had a problem with it, uh, would you call Ford? Mm, You wouldn't call GM, would you? No, you'd call Tesla. And you'd ask the question of the manufacturer. You would go to Tesla and say, hey, listen, this weird thing is happening with my battery or with my car door. And they would be able to answer the question, why? Because they designed and built the car. God is the creator of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything that's in them. So when you have a problem with something in your life or something that's going on, why not go back to the original manufacturer? Why not go to the one who created it all, amen? 
He created you. He created the world. He created the universe. To go to anyone else would not only be foolish, but ineffective. You know, some people are a little upset because the climate is changing. I happen to like it warmer, so I'm okay with it. But it amazes me when man, I've said this before, man gets together and says, well, we got to fix this. You're not going to see me climbing underneath my, my Buick trying to fix the engine. Ah, that's not my gifting. I'm going to bring that into the dealership if there's a problem. And I don't suggest that we take our world, which may be in peril, may have all kinds of problems, to anyone else, including the UN. And, and, and I think what we need to do is just take it to the Lord and say, Lord, you created it. Heaven and earth, the sea, everything in them. We submit your creation back to you as sovereign Lord and trust you to manage it. That doesn't mean we're irresponsible. But it does mean that we bring the things that belong to God to God. For after all, Jesus said, give to Caesar that which is Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. And the world belongs to him. The earth and the fullness thereof. Amen? So we need to get a perspective. Before we even pray for boldness, we need to get a perspective. The perspective is, guess what? It's God's world. It's God's world. There is no Mother Earth. There's only Father God. So they acknowledge that God actually also spoke through the Holy Spirit, through his word, and specifically through David, in Psalm 2, verses 1 through 2. Now their quoting of these verses to explain the foolishness of rebelling against God is inspired by God. They would quote this verse, interestingly enough, why do the nations rage? It's a pretty accurate description, even today. And the people's plot in vain. Oh, they're going to take God off his throne. They're going to defeat Christianity. They're going to stop people of conscience, calling them haters and keeping them from preaching the gospel. Yeah, that's going to happen. I would answer with this same scripture. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth, oh, they take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord. And that's happening and against his anointed one. But that's said in the context of the foolishness that it takes to think that mankind can do anything to thwart the power and the will of God. That's encouraging, isn't it? So as we stop a moment to think about that, this is a psalm of encouragement and reassurance in God's faithfulness. It's written to assure the king. It was written about or concerning David's reign. It was written to assure the king and even that he was a rightful and anointed person. That is, he was put in his position as king by God. And that's why they're saying, this is why the psalm referring to David, or David referring to his position, is saying, look, God put me here. And anyone coming against God's anointed, well, it's just foolish. It was used during vulnerable times in Israel. So when they would have transitions of power, they didn't have elections, but they would have a transition of power uh, in Israel. When a new king took office, they would actually recite psalms like this to encourage the new king and to assure everyone that God was still in control. So the next time you're thinking he's not, maybe you should read this. God's in control. That's what this whole section is about. It teaches that no one can take God's authority away from his anointed one who is Jesus Christ. Amen? Remember that. That'll encourage you. And don't watch as many uh, news programs uh, as you have been, and you'll be fine. Don't watch certain stations, and you'll be even better. <laughs> so, 
These verses also prophetically apply to rebellion against God in general. And that's how we're applying it today. Rebellion against God, the Son of David, the coming Messiah. Anyone that rebels against God and His will, well, they're just foolish. We submit to God's will, the world doesn't, well, that's just foolishness. And the day will come, thank God, when it will all be revealed. That day is not today, but hopefully soon. Those that rebelled against God at that time would be unable to destroy the church in the first century. And that's what the church is saying. They're not going to be able to stop us. Does anyone have confidence in that? I hope you do. You know, when we're walking around thinking, oh, you know, 50% uh, of the people in the United States attend church now. It used to be higher, like that matters. I hear people citing stats as if that's some indication of God's ability and power. It's not. I don't care what the stats say. I can tell you this. His church is alive and well, filled with the Spirit, and ready to preach the truth. And if a handful of believers in the first century could reach the known world, I think we'll be okay. This is an encouraging message, at least for me. Now, it also speaks when Christ, of when Christ returns to establish his millennial kingdom talked about in Revelation 19. It also speaks of the rebellion after the millennial kingdom as well, talked about in Revelation 20. Anytime there's a rebellion against God and his word, guess who wins? Do you realize we've already won? We're just waiting for the victory to be declared. You know, it's like we were visiting friends yesterday and the kids wanted us to play this uh, I guess some kind of dance revolution thing. And so we're jumping around doing this thing. And I'm, I'm, apparently I'm a cat or something on the screen. It's, you know, for kids. And I'm dancing around. I'm doing everything. And I'm doing the best I can. And, you know, being challenged in that way, I'm like doing okay. Michelle killed it. But she, she's good at that stuff. So I'm trying my best. And I'm like, oh, I think I got it. You know, I'm trying to beat these kids. And I'm like, you know, oh, I think I got it. I think I got it. I'm waiting. And I'm waiting for the Xbox to tell me who won. And finally, I lost by just a hair. And I thought, ah. It's like we're in that place now. We're waiting. We're waiting for the victory to be declared, but it's not even going to be close. The victory is ours, brothers and sisters. And we may be waiting for it, and we may not be sure at times, but you need to know he's already won. I need an amen. 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 Okay. It is vain to make plans that are contrary to God's revealed will. Have you figured that out? Oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy that. I'm going to buy this. James tells us, don't do that. Don't do that. Because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen in the next five minutes. But the world thinks, isn't this great? We're going to do this. We're going to silence them. We're going to take over that. We're going to make this a state. We're going to get rid of this legislation. We're going to take care of these things. We're going to spend this amount of money. And I keep thinking, wow, that's, that's insane. But then I stop and think, well, by God's power and will, he allows what he allows. So I have to be okay with it, and I have to trust that God really is in control. I hope you know that. I, I hope I'm just reaffirming you in your faith. But here's what we do know. Nations may conspire to push God out of their national conscience. Ours certainly has been for some time. Peoples may plot to push God out of their popular culture. But it's vain to do so, for God is in control. It's ridiculous to try to defy God's authority or the authority of Jesus Christ over the earth. Kings may shake their fist at the Lord of all the earth. Rulers may unite against God, the Father, and His Son, Jesus Christ. But here's what we know. 
None of it amounts to anything because God is in control. And that's what this scripture means. It's what it points to and alludes to. And it's why they mentioned it. And by the way, when you're having a hard time trusting God, quote scripture. That's what they did. And this happened to be a psalm, which happened to be a prophecy, which happens to show up in the New Testament and even encourages us today. And then he talks about Herod and Pontius Pilate. Now, this must have been the hardest thing in the world for the church of the first century to accept. It was difficult for Peter. Peter, Peter, when he found out that Jesus was going to be handed over to the Gentiles and put to death, said, not so, Lord. And Jesus said, get behind me, saying, you can't stand in the way of God's will. So they acknowledged that the enemies of Messiah had actually, though, fulfilled God's word. They had actually fulfilled God's word. They tried to stop him. All that happened was that he rose again and was victorious over sin and death. So even the worst thing that ever happened. Can we agree? The absolute worst thing in human history that ever happened was the death of Jesus Christ. The most unjust thing that could have ever taken place was him being put to death on the cross. However, three days later, the greatest thing in the universe that ever happened took place. He rose again from the dead. Amen. So I think we need to see it that way. Yeah, we need to do that. We need to do that. So you know what? When we put it in perspective, how bad is it right now? I want you to stop walking around with your head down saying the sky is falling. You remember Chicken Little? The sky is falling. I think something hit him in the head and he decided to tell everybody and they, Henny Penny, Foxy Loxy, Goosey Lucy. There. What, what, I, I used to love that book for some reason. Every animal, oh, the Foxy Loxy, whatever. The, 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 these, these, these animals all came to the conclusion, oh, the sky must be falling. And it isn't. In fact, look to the skies. Your redemption draws near. Okay, so Herod and Pilate had conspired against Jesus, powerful men, with the support of both Jews and Gentiles. Everybody was against him except just a few. And God actually allowed Jesus to be arrested by their leaders. Why? It was his predetermined purpose. He had actually foretold through all the prophets that Messiah would suffer. He had fulfilled his word by allowing them to hand him over to be crucified. So when, at what point, was God not in control. Well, listen, now the church, their hearts are in the right place. Their spirits are calibrated. They're tuned in. They know. You know what they know? God is in control. Notice when you know that God is in control, how the spirit will lead you to pray and how he will respond. Let's go back to the word. Verses 29 through 30. Now, Lord, That is, they've already said what they need to say about the truth of God's sovereignty. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What did the Sanhedrin say? Don't preach in that name. Don't say the name of Jesus. I mean, you can curse and use the name of Jesus, but don't use the name of Jesus. You see, isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? Isn't that something? Do you not see Satan in control of that? All the time you hear people use the name of the Lord in vain, but use the name of the Lord as it's appropriately meant to be used, like praise the Lord Jesus. See if you don't get fired. Scream at the top of your lungs, use an expletive and say the name of Jesus, and you you might even get promoted. Is that crazy? It's not crazy. It's demonic. We know what's going on, right? You see what's happening? Okay. What we do know 
is that they prayed that the Lord would consider the Sanhedrin's threats and protect them from them. Notice in the first part of verse 29, they pray, now, Lord, consider their threats. Now, what is that? Well, the Lord didn't have to consider their threats. He knew their threats. He didn't need to think about it. But what are they saying? They're saying, Lord, consider what they're saying. What What are our enemies saying? And then, as a result, protect us from that. So we can pray, Lord, consider the threats of those that hate you and hate us. Protect us from them. It's okay. We don't want to be martyrs. You know, we're not looking for that. You're not looking to get fired. You're not looking to get canceled. Protect us from the threats of the enemies. But regardless, they go on to pray that the Lord would enable them to speak the word of God with great boldness. Now, boldness is something that I've noticed. This is an observation on my part. I have no statistics. But those that are bold are becoming bolder. And those that are not bold are becoming quieter. Have you noticed that? Those that are bold in Jesus Christ are becoming bolder. And those that are timid are becoming more timid. I'm going to suggest that if you feel that you're, you're less bold today than you were two years ago, let's say, or several years ago, that the answer is to acknowledge God's sovereignty and pray for great boldness. Very simple. Pray for great boldness. You don't have the option, oh Lord, help me to keep my mouth shut, never share the gospel or tell anyone the truth. That is not going to be answered. That's not a prayer that God's going to answer. But praying for great boldness will be, as we'll see. So they knew that the Lord had called them to preach the gospel and to teach God's word. He's called us as well. They also knew that they did not have the courage or the boldness to fulfill God's call in and of themselves. So what's going to happen is if you rely on your own boldness, let's say you're a brash person and you like to open up your mouth and you, op- you rely on that, you're going to get yourself in trouble unnecessarily. But if you rely on God's boldness in answer to prayer by the power of the Spirit, that gift of boldness, great boldness, when you speak, it'll be like Peter and John, it'll be like Paul, it'll be like those in the Bible who spoke with great boldness, Jesus himself, no one's going to be able to deal with that kind of boldness because it's the Spirit speaking through you. And that's what they wanted. So don't mistake someone's ability to be bold with great boldness from God. Very, very different things. We've seen people over this last year become very bold, but not very godly on both sides of the political spectrum, on the right and on the left. There are people that are very bold, but what they're doing isn't godly. First of all, it's not loving. And if you say you love God, as John says, and you hate your brother... You lie and the truth isn't in you. How can you love God, who you haven't seen, or how, and you haven't, haven't even tried to love your brother, let's say, who you have seen? And that's where we're at today. The, the devil is, is not as clever as people give him credit. He's using the same old tactics. Fear, intimidation, slander. Those are things he's always said. Lies, deception, right? Pretty clear. Division. One of the things we see now is uh, the powers, the demonically inspired, satanically charged powers of the world want to divide, even the church, they want to divide us on the basis of our pigmentation, our skin color. They want to divide us on the basis of our political viewpoint. I don't expect everyone to agree with me in my politics. It doesn't matter. Just let's be civil about it. 
And, and, you know, they want to divide us on the basis of how you feel about everything from masks to vaccines. To, don't you see what's going on? See, it's unimportant to me how you feel about those things. What's important to me is that you love your brother. That's kind of why we made the decision to make the foyer, uh, you know, a strict mask zone. Why? It's because we love our brothers and sisters. We're trying to help those who may feel differently than we do. Obviously, I look around, and, and, and almost everyone in here feels comfortable not wearing a mask. And that's fine. That's why you're in here. If you're not comfortable, then we have a place where you can be comfortable. You see, what that is is not turning the church into a, you know, a sign out front and neon saying, we don't wear masks and we hate everyone that does. Or, or we all must wear masks and everyone who doesn't, are evil and hate their brother. That's what I see going on. I don't see any balance here. A good friend of mine, we were having a conversation Thursday night, and he said something, and I want to share it. I, I told him I was going to take it from him and share it. I give him credit, but he shared it from the heart. He said, you know, he said, you know what really hurts me is that I have people that I truly care about and love who, when I listen to them, I have to admit, I think they're a little crazy. But I truly care about them and love them. And you know, the saddest thing of all is they truly care about me and love me, and they think I'm crazy. (laughs) And all it has effectively done is divide us. May I even dare say, the church, don't let these things divide. We're doing the best we can to keep everyone comfortable and do what we can. But listen, if you're looking for everything to be your way or the highway, that's just not even possible on the right or on the left, conservative, progressive. It's not possible. It's not feasible. It's not even our goal. Our goal is to praise God, to love God with all of our hearts, mind, soul, and strength, and love our neighbors as ourselves. So I say these things to apply today's message to our hearts. That's not necessarily what we're studying, but that's a good application to our current circumstances. Okay, let's continue. Now, they wanted great boldness. They prayed that the Lord would empower them to do something amazing, actually miraculous, to heal and perform miracles through the name of Jesus. The very thing that got Peter and John in trouble, by the way, more of the same. They knew that the Lord had called them to heal the sick and to perform signs and wonders. They also knew that they did not have the power to do anything in their own name, so they said, in the name of Jesus, because there's no one that can do this in their own strength and power. Did you know that not even Jesus who had all the, has all the power of the universe, did the miracles and the healings in his own power. As a member of the Trinity, he did it in the power of the Spirit according to God's will. He submitted himself as God in flesh to God the Father, was empowered by the Spirit, and through the Spirit's power, just the way you and I might heal, or God would use us to heal or do miracles, Jesus did the same. That's submission to God's will. And God's power as a model to follow for us to follow. So, well, that was Jesus. Well, that was the apostles. No, that's the spirit. And I would encourage you to pray for these things as well. They recognize that miracles glorify God and they silence our enemies. So you know what I've been praying for? I have to admit, I've been praying for some miracles. Now, not so that I can write a book or go on television, but I would love to see God do miracles of healing. It happens through prayer, and 
faith and belief in the Spirit's power and in the name of Jesus. But, you know, you, you can't argue with a miracle, can you? I mean, some people try, but it's really, really hard. It's really, really hard. So maybe what we should ask the Lord to do, according to his will and power, is, Lord, make it so obvious to the world that hates us that you're with us. Do things that can't be explained. Let them, I was going to say choke on that, but that's probably not appropriate. (laughs) There's a little of my Sicilian coming through. Let them swallow that and digest it. (laughs) See, I'm not completely sanctified just yet. So let them, let them digest that. Let them think about that. Give them something to think about. Because you know what happened in the first century? The most hateful person would be like, we hate those Christians. We hate those Jesus followers. And then their brother or their sister who was crippled gets healed. And they're like, oh. and their hearts are open. That's what we want, right? What if all the hearts of those who hate us and hate God and his word were so affected by a miraculous work of God's spirit that it changed their hearts. You see, I think we really need to be concerned with that. Well, that's how the church was feeling. That's why they prayed for this, this very thing. And now I want you to see, as we prepare to receive communion, I want you to see in verse 31 how God the Spirit responded to this prayer. In verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. How long did it take for God to answer that prayer? A couple nanoseconds? I mean, basically the prayer was answered before they prayed it. If you're asking for boldness to preach the gospel, you don't have to wonder whether that's according to God's will. So, God answered the prayers of the church and the fellowship by filling them with the Holy Spirit. The place where they were meeting was shaken in response to their prayers. This is similar to what happened in chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Similar, not the same. What this did was confirm that their prayers were were, were prayed according to God's will. It, It assured them that their prayers would be immediately answered. They could go out in boldness and expect God to do miraculous things through them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They were enabled to speak the word of God boldly, which is a gifting of the Spirit, an empowering of the Holy Spirit. And this was at least the second time that the early church was filled with the Holy Spirit. Pastor Tim, are you saying that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit more than once? I hope so. Because as D.L. Moody said, I believe it was D.L. Moody, said, I leak. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit continually. Present progressive tense, like continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled. Filled. When we understand it that way, we shouldn't be surprised that we can pray this way. We need that. You know, it's funny because, it, it, again, it happens suddenly without warning, just like it had in Acts chapter 2. Well, they're all praying together just the same. They were praying together. And they all, again, experienced something powerful while they were sitting together. Now, do you notice the commonality between what happened in Acts chapter 2 and in Acts chapter 4? They were all together, unified, praying together, asking God to work through them. And what happened? the Spirit came down upon them and empowered them to do the work of God. That's why we come together on Sundays and Wednesdays and throughout the week to pray together. And what did they receive? What did they get in response to their prayer? 
They received a gift. It's talked about in 1 Peter chapter 4. We're actually going to talk about it this Wednesday night in our midweek service. Uh, It's called the gift of communication sometimes, or boldness. And it allowed them and empowered them to speak openly, plainly, freely, and confidently. I'm going to repeat that. It allowed them and encouraged them and empowered them to speak openly, plainly, freely, and confidently. That's what we need more than anything else right now in the church. I think you know that I have that gift by now. I've asked the Lord to take away any fear I might have of saying things that need to be said, even of being disliked for saying them. And fortunately, at some point in my life, he answered that prayer. And the older I get, the more I see it happening. Well, you know, that's a good thing, and we need that. But being filled with the Holy Spirit, as I've said, is an ongoing and continual experience of God in response to prayer. Ask for it. In the Spirit, pray for it. Pray together for it. Expect it. Wait for the place to be shaken. Wait for God to work in and through your lives miraculously. And as I ask the worship team to come up and as we prepare to receive communion, I ask this question. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Brothers and sisters, this is what we need. This is what God desires to do, not only in our hearts, but in our church and in our world. Pray that the Holy Spirit would continually fill you, give you the ability to openly, boldly, confidently preach the word of God, and that God would, in response to our faithfulness, be faithful to change the hearts of men and women who hate us, hate God's word, and hate God himself. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we need your spirit. We as a church right now come to you in the power of the Spirit, and we have acknowledged your sovereignty and simply pray alongside these saints of the first century asking for great boldness, not brashness, not rudeness, boldness, that we might speak the truth in love and that our love and the truth that we preach would transform lives as you miraculously attest to and confirm your word. O Lord, Heavenly Father, we acknowledge, as always, that you came and died on the cross for our sins, that you rose again on the third day, and that you're coming again to judge the living and the dead. And all we, as as those who have heard the word today, need to do is respond to that miraculous work, open our hearts, and say, Lord Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. The word says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, and we're calling upon your name acknowledging that you died in our place, acknowledging that we're forgiven of our sins as we confess our sins to you, and acknowledge that you rose from the dead. Oh, Lord God, this is our heart's desire, that we would belong to you and that you would work mightily through us. And all God's people said, Amen.